The Golden Mike Podcast is presented by SeaDeck Marine Products. Find out about all of SeaDeck's amazing standard and customizable applications online at www.seadeck.com. That's S-E-A-D-E-K.com. And now, it's showtime. Recognized as the official voice of Toadwater Sports for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated the industry's biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years of on-water experience, captivating charisma, and a command of his audience. Presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast. With the noise of the North himself, Dano the Mano. What's up, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Golden Mike Podcast. I'm the Noise of the North, Dan Lamano. I'm back in Orlando, Florida, the mecca of all toad water sports, and now it's time for some audio sunshine. Hope you're all doing well and want to thank everyone for their continued support of this audio podcast covering the life and times of the folks in front and behind the scenes in the world of toad water sports both past and present, legends, future legends, and enthusiasts. I'm hoping for those of you in climates warm enough are getting out on the lake and enjoying their time on the water. Hope you're teaching friends about the good times at the lake, introducing new people to the water, and really just sharing the passion we all have. But most importantly, appreciating every moment. Every moment on and off the water. I want to take a few moments to talk about what I appreciate. I appreciate my family for supporting me taking me to the lake and being there when times are tough. I appreciate all the people I've met, the acquaintances and friends I've made through my experiences. Experiences created all because of toad water sports. I appreciate the opportunities I've had over the last decade plus to travel the U.S. and around the world. I'm busy mostly when I travel and usually spending a majority of my time attached to a short leash bonded by my microphone talking about what I see. I'm normally on site before most people and there a bit longer than many more. I'm not complaining as it's been my way to live the dream that I had growing up, which was to be a part of the sport in some fashion. And I'd like to believe that I've succeeded, maybe even more than I ever dreamt of. Yeah, I'm not rich in money, but life experiences is what it's all about, guys. Friendships and life lessons that I've collected outweigh any monetary value that I can think of. I'm serious, though. And I don't mean to rant, but it's been some really heavy times as of late, and especially here in Orlando. So on the last episode of the podcast, I was feeling a bit under the weather. I caught a little something coming off three days on the microphone at the Nautique Masters. I feel better, but obviously I've been traveling a lot. And since then, I've gone back-to-back events with a stop at Heiko Lake in North Carolina for the Malibu Rider Experience's second stop in the WWA's Southern Wakeboard Regionals. Then it was home for two nights, not even 48 hours, and then right over to Portugal for the Nautique European Pro-Am presented by Rockstar Energy. I had a blast at both events and really enjoy announcing, especially for amateur riders. It feels good giving riders an experience, making them feel like a pro out there. I like to hope that I help give these guys and girls, men and women, an experience, a feeling that they're a part of the family, the Toad Water Sports family. They are. Whether they compete for years or just come to one event, they are. They're in. We all share a bit of that passion, the passion of the love of the lake life, and for that, I'm thankful. 
Before I get to my guest, I just want to talk a little bit behind the scenes about my trip this year to Portugal. It started off really great. Traveling halfway around the world can be stressful, but it's a whole lot easier when you have your friends along the way. I arrived at the Orlando International Airport and ran into a group of my friends. Unknowingly, I'd be traveling with Brian Grubb, Jeff McKee, the editor of Wakeboarding Mag, Sean Perry. Also on our same flight was Mike Dowdy, Megan Ethel, and Corey Tunison, who would both end up winning the pro wakeboard division uh, at the contest, the Nautique European Pro-Am. After about 20 hours from my front door in Orlando to the hotel's front desk in Portugal, we arrived, and everything was awesome. Good food, better wine, amazing landscapes, and just great people. The event went smooth aside from some windy conditions on the first couple of days, but the beauty of Portugal overshadowed it. Portugal is about five or six hours ahead of Orlando time, so it's kind of like being in the future there. After two days of great action on the water, I arrived early for day three. Sunday morning was kicking off, and after a few amateur finals, we had a short break before junior pro wakeboard hit the water. It was about 10.30 a.m., and I decided to check social media to see who had been hitting the thumbs up on my photos and my posts. That's when I saw the first post about the tragedy in Orlando. Being five hours ahead, most of my friends in Florida and in the U.S. were probably still sleeping. But in Portugal, across the site, I could tell within about five minutes the news was spreading fast. It set a somber toll on the event and became hard to just focus on calling tricks and feeling stoked about the action. I don't know how much it affected the riding, but I will say you could tell something wasn't right, at least for the U.S. athletes. A majority of us there call Orlando home, and this hurts a lot. I'm not a political guy, and I don't know policies or gun control or any of that, but I do know good people. And the people of Central Florida and Orlando are good people. Orlando is a melting pot. It's a place we all go to live out our dreams. We're here for the sun and the love of the water. The massacre in Orlando, although maybe not directly affecting me or too many of my friends, hits way too close for home, and it's been hard to think about anything else for days. When will the violence stop? I don't have an answer, but in my life, I will continue to live positively. I try to do my best to do good and be good and love and love people and love life. I have a heavy heart for anyone affected by this tragedy and want to congratulate the people of Orlando for staying strong. We will get through this one, and there will be peace. For this to happen, we must all condemn the hate with our love, our positivity. Stay strong, Orlando, and continue to stay beautiful. So today's episode is with a gentleman I have a lot of respect for. Growing up, he was the first name I knew. Tony Clarich is a pioneer. He's a toad water sports specialist and historian. The history of our sport, it runs rich in his blood, from his grandparents to his uncles, and just the amount of stuff that Tony has seen, done, or pioneered, it's just so much. And in this episode, we talk all about that great history, and I hope you guys all listen to the whole thing all the way through and learn some new stuff about this great man and our great sport. As you all know, the Golden Mike Podcast is brought to you free twice monthly and is always available online at noiseofthenorth.com. To keep this podcast no charge to you, the listener, I'd like to thank the sponsors of the show. SeaDeck Marine Products, Performance Ski and Surf, Woodrow Sustainable Optics, Boulder Boats, GoPuck, Hungry Boards, SUP, Rockstar Energy, and C4 Belts. Follow me, tag me, tweet me on social media. 
Instagram at Dano T. Mano, on Twitter at the Dano T. Mano, and at the Golden underscore Mike. And be sure to like the Golden Mike podcast on Facebook. You guys can always reach me through email, goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com. And you can shoot me messages to the Golden Mike Facebook page. Also, guys, this June we're giving away some awesome prizes courtesy of our sponsors in the Golden Mike Podcast, June Swag Stravaganza. To enter the Swag Stravaganza, simply visit c4belts.com and pick your favorite belt strap, color, and buckle combination. Then hit woodrows.com. Pick out your favorite pair of Woodrows Sustainable Optics. Then hit up gopuck.com and pick out the GoPuck model that would really charge your lifestyle. Then email me, goldenmike, at noiseofthenorth.com with your three choices. And one lucky listener is going to get a C4 belt. Another listener gets their desired pair of Woodrows. And another listener is going to win a GoPuck. And one more, even more lucky listener will get all three of their personal picks. All entries must be in by midnight on July 4th. And I'll announce the winner on the July 6th episode of the Golden Mike Podcast. You can also find all the details online at noiseofthenorth.com on my blog page. Today's audio montage is presented by Boulder Boats and is from the first stop of the Malibu Boats Rider Experience and the WWA's Western Wakeboard Regionals. Have a listen now, then I'll be back with Tony Clarich here on the Golden Mike Podcast. Guys, I'm standing here with the executive director of the WWA, Mrs. Corey Wilson. Corey, we're here at the Rider Experience. Can you talk a little bit about what this event is? Uh, Well, the Rider Experience events are just a great opportunity for riders up and coming or seasoned to get a chance to get in the boats uh, and behind the boats with the Malibu Pro Team and uh, just have a good time all weekend, whether it's in the contest, Free Ride Friday, Wake Surf Sunday. It's all about having a good time. I'm standing here with the president of the World Wakeboard Association, Mr. Shannon Starling. Shannon, what sets the Malibu Rider Experience Series apart from any other event out there? Well, you know, it's a qualifier for the Nationals, for the National Champions going down in Atlanta this year, and it really turned into a program to help develop riders, and that's what we're trying to do on the water, teach them how to come into wakeboarding, how to become a wakeboarder from amateur to pro. We want everybody to enjoy the sport at every level. Terry Bugs here, out here at the Malibu Rider Experience, watching all the action the water kids are throwing it down i'm ryan koski i'm from tempe arizona i won men's one division i'm rocker steiner 12 years old from austin texas so pumped to win my division of boys my name is corbin bland i'm from oconomowoc wisconsin and i just took first place at the west regional championships in the men's two division i'm Cannon Haran. i'm five years old i won junior boys dinner hi i'm blake landon and i'm from st george utah and i won beginner 10 13 Ashton Judd Davis. I'm eight. I won junior boys. Hello, my name's Bryce Gray. I'm 14 years old from Australia and I got first in junior men. Hi, I'm Ellie Christensen. I am 12 years old. I'm from St. George, Utah and I won the junior women's division. I'm Harmony Lohan and I won junior girls. Kaylee McNay from Beaverton, Oregon. I'm super stoked to have won the women's division today and not hurt my knee. My name is Tammy Kamard. I'm from Mesa, Arizona and I won the women's wake surf division. I'm standing here with the events and team manager of Malibu Boats, the one and only Mr. Brian Thomas. Great riding behind a various uh, grouping of uh, wake setters, 20 VTX, 22 VLX, and the junior pros riding behind the new 25 LSV. 
and uh, everybody really killed it, so it was awesome. The West Coast rep for Malibu Boats, Mr. Chris Loomis. You know, the rider experience so far has been awesome. It's, uh, you know, we got Boulder Boats uh, out here putting on a heck of an event. Record attendance so far. We got 90-plus uh, riders from what I hear, so we're, we're pumped to get the season started right. Tara Mikasich out here. It's been really fun to see how stoked everyone is to be out here, and like the camaraderie is amazing, and I feel like it really builds a sport. And then, you know, the coaching side of me also, you know, wants to encourage people to practice in all kinds of conditions and, and have really good strategy going into events. Darren Holsey taking the overall win in the Veterans Division 40 and up. What did you think of the Malibu Rider experience? I liked it. This venue is crazy nice. It's just too bad that the wind kicks up and you get a little slop back off the side. I guess the water's high right now, so it's not uh, as good of conditions as it can be, but it, it's pretty as hell right around here. This is nice. Natalie Graham. Natalie, talk about your ride. Conditions were brutal, but I really had a good time out there. The wake was uh, a very nice peaky wake and enjoyed the ride. Brian Platt. Feels awesome. You know, I certainly wasn't expecting to go back to back two years in a row. It's, uh, it's a cool thing to get out here at, at Lake Las Vegas as well. And Get after it. Ollie DeRome, between the amateur riders and the junior pros, we've seen some awesome action on the water. Any thoughts? Yeah, I'm, I'm stoked to see how hard the kids are going for it and in the conditions. And uh, it's pretty hot out here, so you should want to get wet and cool down, but they're standing up and putting some good runs together. The West Coast rep for CWB Board Company and one of the judges at the Malibu Rider Experience, the one and only Jimmy Trask. Everyone's riding great behind these Malibu boats. So, yeah, we just got done with junior pro semis and... Yeah, those boys were ripping. Malibu Pro Team Rider and one of the judges out here at the Malibu Rider Experience, Chad Sharp. Uh, these guys have been killing it all day. Um, right now the juniors are dealing with a little challenging water conditions, but they're just powering through and putting down some good runs. Uh, everyone had a great time out wake surfing today, so it's just it's been a ton of fun, and this venue's been insane to be at. Tyler Heim, you came out, you threw out down all that West Coast style. You had a pretty solid run. Conditions not so conducive to what you were doing. I mean, yeah, I'm stoked on it. I mean, conditions weren't the best, but they're the same for everybody. But it's still a fun event. Good time to hang out with the boys. It's fun. Malibu Pro Team Rider Amber Wing. Yeah, it was so awesome to see so many competitors here, like 80 people. I couldn't believe it. And uh, all ages, all levels. It's uh, just so awesome to see it. Kobe France, talk about your run. I didn't land my whole run, but I was still pretty stoked to end up second. It was, yeah, it was a good fun day. Jefferson Langley, we saw some great action out there. How'd you feel about today's rider experience in Wakeboard Regionals? Yeah, it was awesome to see all these guys come out to Vegas and compete. Had some great riding, fun driving these boats all day. It was awesome. Starts off the season here at the Malibu Boats Rider Experience with a number one spot on the podium. Louie Watt, what a run. Yeah, I'm feeling good. The conditions aren't that great, but um, the wake was big and it was just good riding with all the boys and had a fun time. I'm standing here with the owner of Boulder Boats, Mr. Stuart Litchin. Stu, this is your second year hosting the Malibu Boats Rider Experience and we're here on Lake Las Vegas. Talk a little bit about how special it is to, to be able to, to run this contest. Uh, it's a great venue. We're so excited to be here. Wakeboarding underneath the bridge, hotel rooms above you. It's just really the village, all the restaurants, the hotels right here. I mean, it's just such an awesome venue. It's a whole lifestyle. It's not just a wakeboard tournament. 
Boulder Boats is your Southwest connection to Malibu and Axis Boats and offers the largest selection of pre-owned towboats in the world. With two locations serving the Las Vegas, Nevada and Phoenix, Arizona areas, Boulder Boats will blow your mind with their large inventory of new and used boats. Aside from offering everything you need to get on the water this year, Boulder Boats takes top honors in customer service. From start to finish, the crew at Boulder Boats will make you feel like family. Boulder Boats accepts trades and offers shipping worldwide. Boulder Boats is always looking for gently used boats, so don't gamble with your time on the water this year. Check out boulderboats.com for the sure win. That's boulderboats.com. This is Tony Claritch reminding you to always wear a flotation device, not just for safety and protection, but style. Presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast with the noise of the north, Dano the Mano. All right, well, Tony Claritch, welcome, my friend, to well, my, my little oasis in paradise here. What do you think? This is it, Dano. I'm so pumped to be here. It's real. You're not just a voice inside of my head. We're right here on the lake. The water's glass, and we're, it's about to go down. So let's do this thing. Uh, you know, Tony, you're a guy who I've been watching for a long, long time. Uh, even even when you, you're kind of out of things, uh, you know, I would go back and, and look up your name and, and check out some of, some of the stuff that you've done. I mean, you're always an inspiring guy. You're a guy who who always did things a little bit differently. When I was introduced to you, it was the video uh, Hot Dog Slalom Skiing with Tony Claridge. And like you said, that was 1989 that came out? 89 for that video, yeah. Yeah, and you know, what I always liked about you is you were a guy that seemed to always march to his, to his own beat. And you know, I feel like I'm that kind of guy as well. So I could always sort of appreciate what you were doing out there. Um, I want to get I want to get started here and just just talk about your history in toad water sports. You know, you're you're a guy. You've kind of seen so many different phases of the sport happen throughout your day. So so let's break it down. Where like where did you grow up and where did you start skiing? I first started skiing on the Carlsbad Lagoon near San Diego, California. Pretty famous now because that's a liquid force spot. You know, there's a lot of guys come out of there. Uh, 1969, down there with Grandma and Grandpa Murphy, my uncles, Mike, Nick, and Pat, and my mom, you know, Mary, she was actually the first skier of the family. And, uh, you know, that was the spot. And the crazy thing is I remember after learning how to ski, watching the moon landing, the first moon landing, 1969, five years old. That was the very first place. Wow, yeah, and you know, you know, I I recently had Murray on the podcast too, and I, I do believe uh, he got his start right around uh right around there too like carlsbad lagoon or something like that so you've been on the water a really really long time and i know you're not afraid to let people know your age you you did the 50 uh is 50 for 50 or 50 on 50 50 for 50 a little takeoff on the 30 for 30 you know espn thing right yep. right which you and you actually started that 10 years earlier with the 40 for 40 right the 40 for 40 well that thing all got started because my grandmother, you know, she learned to hydrofoil at age 76. My uncle, Mike Murphy, was the co-inventor of the hydrofoil, you know, in 89. 
So uh, he went from there to found Airchair and then eventually Skyski. He taught grandma how to ride. And every year from age 79 to 86, she rode to Catalina Island and back to celebrate her birthday. We're talking 52 miles in open ocean. Wow. So, so your family, you talked about, you know, you guys are all skiers, uh, your uncle Mike Murphy with the hydrofoil. And, you know, you've been all over the place from, you know, demoing, you know, water ski stuff to the early days of, of wakeboarding back to, to when it was scurfing or ski boarding all the way to the transition into, into, into wakeboarding. But um, like how many different aspects or disciplines of the sport have you kind of been involved with? Pretty much everything. I mean, pretty much everything. There's a few that I have not. I mean, I have done a little distance jumping, but not much. I was just really afraid of my knees uh, because of that, and I wanted longevity. I haven't done any drag racing, you know, for speed. My uncle has, though. You know, he won the International Speed Ski Championships in Long Beach going 118-plus miles per hour on a ski. Um, but I've done, you know, three-event, trick, show, kneeboard, wakeboard, uh, stuff that's completely off the board, uh, you know, you name it, I've pretty much been involved in it all the way through. And that's the thing. Because my uncle did all this stuff, I just followed his pathway and wasn't afraid to try new stuff and wasn't afraid to try the new stuff. And it's been really good because as you start to build up this repertoire of all these things, they just feed into one another. So you can use the aspects from one discipline into another discipline to make everything better all the way around. So I've never really stuck with one thing specifically. You know, the one thing that I always really thought was cool and, and now as, as I've matured and I've gotten older and I kind of look at the, the overall toad water sports thing is that you, you're kind of like the original free skier or free rider guy. You know, you were, you were out there, you weren't necessarily uh, competing for points. And, and that's one thing I always tell people about myself. I'm, when I'm on the water, I'm not necessarily competing for points. I'm 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 out there competing for for loud rounds of applause, um, maybe a couple of extra eyes looking at me while I'm <laughs> out there, maybe a few phone numbers once I get off the yep, water. Yeah, that can relate to that for sure. That all started with, again, Uncle Mike. He was the you know, the father of hot dog water skiing. He started in the '60s and '70s. You know, backwards deep water start, helicopter on a slalom ski tumble turn on a slalom ski. I saw him doing this stuff, and more importantly, as a young, impressionable youth, I saw the way the women were responding to the moves, for real. And I wanted to be like Mike. So, I mean, I grew up thinking, this is normal, I can do it too. So I did, and that's where I think a lot of the stuff that's come down through the years has been based off that, because that's that feeling of freedom on the water where it's not points. It's just showing off. It's having a good time. It's really what I think I would call a West Coast style because we didn't have a bunch of bodies of water. We didn't have a bunch of slalom courses or jumps. So you just had to make do with whatever you had. But it went from hot dog skiing. Mike invented the kneeboard in 1972. That was a new form of expression. Then he went to the hydrofoil. So, I mean, all this stuff was kind of like step by step by step with the same feeling and desire, but a different piece of equipment. So... Your, your uncle, Mike Murphy, and you, you talk about him a lot. I'm sure he's going to be, uh, oh, there's going to be a lot of talk about him uh, throughout the rest of this episode here. Uh, how Was he the like first generation uh, on the water in the family, or, or does it even go further back? 
my grandparents, uh, Nick and Mary Murphy, you know, my grandfather, that's Mike's father, he was like the original hot dogger in the family. I mean, I remember seeing these old Super 8, you know, real movies where he'd be doing 10 foot high dock starts and uh, Golden Avenue, Long Beach and breaking the lines because they were made out of, you know, manila or hemp or something. And then he would stick the rope between his legs on a slalom ski and jump wake to wake. No release. I mean, you know, no vest either. Uh, and then my grandmother, she was just the one who was always there, sure, steady, in the boat, you know, taking marathon rides all the time. I mean, like automatic hour rides, you know, so very inspirational. Those two were really the ones that started it all out. So as you, as through the 70s and the 80s and you started taking skiing, you know, uh, more seriously for yourself, you, like you said, you got that West Coast style and something that I noticed in wakeboarding for a long time is the West Coast riders never really seemed to to take competitions super serious. Like it was never the most important thing. And, and as you said, it kind of seems like the whole water ski aspect is, is also similar. I mean, I know there's definitely some traditional three eventing going on over there. Um, but like it, within that three event community, I'm sure you had to be recognized. I don't really think so because I was just on the outskirts of it. I mean, an occasional participant, but it was never a big focus, and that's not really the circles that we ran in. I mean, once our days at the Carlsbad Lagoon ended, uh, Wet Set Village was formed, and the Carlsbad Boat and Ski Club went to Wet Set Village. So that was a more traditional type setting. The Roberges were there, you know, uh, Carl and, and that whole family, Carl Roberts. And we just found that that place just wasn't for us. We weren't tournament skiers. So our next move from there after a year was to the Long Beach Marine Stadium. Uh, and that's been the place that's been, you know, kind of one of our homes for many years. Built in 1932 for the Olympics, rowing, you know, home of so many awesome events, X Games, Pro Tour stops, and, you know, thousands and thousands of miles and new tricks. Off the microphone, we had been chatting about some of the origin, the origins of, of wakeboarding and and how it all got started and many people know you know it, it for the most part i think it it it's a west coast thing it started out there you know hawaii and i you know i uh perez on the on the podcast and we talked about you know his beginnings and everything like that when when did you first see somebody riding sideways on a board well <laughs> In a lot of ways, I would describe myself as the Forrest Gump of toad water sports because somehow or another, I have managed to been at places where huge things in the sport have happened. Uh, Tony Finn in the premier issue of Wakeboarding Magazine described his selling of his first boards uh, to a shop on the Colorado River as one of his first big breaks, you know? And that was my uncle's ski shop. That was my home shop. That's the first place he went and sold scurfers, you know, in 85, 86. So that was my shop. The next place he took him was the Magic Mountain Ski Show that I was working at. So that first year in 86, I was paid to ride the scurfer every day in the ski show. Now, at that time, because it was considered more of a toy, it was part of the clown act. But nevertheless, we rode it every day, and I would take it out and, and practice on it, and I applied my hot dogging to the scurfer right away. So I was doing TikToks, side slides, wake 360s, I mean, immediately. Okay, Tony Finn shows up at Mike Murphy's ski shop with the scurfer, you know, mid 80s, I'm guessing this is 84, 85. That's right. 
what's your uncle's impression? Because your your uncle seems to be a pretty open-minded guy when it comes to toad water sports. What's his impression? His impression, and I've talked to him about this, is that, hey, this is a cool thing. It's another cool thing because he's very open-minded. But him and Mike Mack, who worked for him at the time, who was a surfer, they perceived it as a toy. That's really what it was because it was bulky. It had a lot of drag. But it was another thing that you could do behind the boat. So, of course, they're taking them and they're selling them, and we rode them. Now, at this point in your career, you know, you're skiing, uh, doing the ski show stuff. Are you, are you like flipping on trick skis or on your slalom ski at this point yet? The first thing I learned to flip was um, freestyle jump skis. And that was at the Magic Mountain show. So, you know, I had this goal to do a flip on the slalom ski and I was working at it, but it was not, no, the wakes were small. There were no tall pylons. I mean, we're talking like ankle high wakes. You know, and I'm and people just weren't flipping back then. But all, yeah, I was gonna say first of all, people aren't flipping back then. No. But but also, you're not thinking of hmm, what can make this easier for me to flip, right? You're not thinking, let me throw some extra weight in the boat, let me tie this rope up higher. No, no, nobody was in that place. But what I did think of what could make it easier for me was I took a couple years of springboard diving at Cal State Long Beach to get better aerial awareness. I took a couple years of gymnastics training to get better. I mean, and yeah, way back there in the 80s, I was jumping on a trampoline with the rope to get better and learn about line tension. So it was a process, but it wasn't now where it's like, you know, one day or one week. I mean, this was, this was years. So the first thing I flipped was off the ramp freestyle jumping. And then the magazine came out and all of a sudden here's you know Paul Roberts Jupiter Florida doing a flip on the kneeboard now this was huge at the time because I mean nobody was flipping any anything like this and it was a sequence it was the etc sequence so seeing it it's like wow and this is how he does it so I took my kneeboard out and within a week I had the flips figured out so that was the second thing that I learned to flip on and then shortly after that because of that aerial awareness of that upside down stuff, I just kept trying the flips. I would take sets of 10, 20 every day. And I finally landed that first flip on the slalom ski. That was a front flip though, right? Front flip on the slalom ski, yeah. Down there at Magic Mountain, Roger Welling towing the boat. And uh, wow, you know, <laughs> amazing. I mean, that was my big breakthrough trick. Can I ask you this? Like, now as an experienced, you know, uh, skier myself and, and a guy who's landed flips on you know, a handful of different apparatus in my day, including a wakeboard, trick ski, shoe skis. That's about it. But Shoe ski's <laughs> good. I haven't gotten that one yet. What, like, why did you decide to go with the front flip on the slalom ski? Like, why wouldn't you just try a barrel roll? Don't you think it would be easier to land, like, the flip that way? Well, first of all, it was the slalom ski because that was the family heritage. That was what Uncle Mike was doing. That's what I was good at. You know, that was just the, you know, tunnel vision dream. It was the front flip because I learned the front flips off the ramp at the ski show. And it was a very natural, uh, very natural progression. Oh, there were trick skis in there, too, somewhere along, along the line. That was a, two, a double tricks uh, to get that same feeling. And that's where we figured out for that move in particular that you'd get a little bump on the throttle, you know, to come around. Gotcha. So, you know, it was a progression. So you were the star of the movie Hot Dog Slalom Skiing. 
that was your that was your video and the guys who now do wakeboarding magazine bonnie air corp and back then i i think it was called world Publi- yeah world Pops. or maybe world it still Pops. is world That's publication right. um we're behind that and i think at that same time there was a handful of videos and books in that same kind of element that came out. i think there was like ski boarding yep um, they made a movie out of it as well as a book. Were you part of that as well? or uh, No, not that one. Uh, Kneeboard Authority with uh, myself, Ted Be- Bevilacqua, and B.B. Anderson. I was a part of that. Uh, then there was, I think, a barefooting one, a slalom one. It was a series of five or six books and videos. Well, I want to talk about um, the Hot Dog Slomsky movie. And I just want to find out like how, how like, back in the day, you know, you really don't see that many people going out and doing the hot dog tricks, you know. But to me, that that was all I knew. I, my dad didn't take me to ski school to go and learn how to go around buoys. He took me to ski school to learn how to get up on a slalom ski. Then he gave me the movie Hot Dog Slalom Ski. He said, let's go learn some tricks, you know. And it it, it was not easy. But I want to find out, like, how, how was that received during that era? I think it was received exceptionally well. I mean, it was that feeling that's carried through into kneeboarding in that freedom of having something and doing tricks and not having rules and showing off and getting some attention. And people really wanted to do it. I mean, it became so popular that, you know, I had a monthly column in Water Ski Magazine. You know, I managed to get the cover. You know, I mean, it's like stories, you know, feature stories. It was happening. there was three or four skis made specifically for hot dog water skiing come out in the early 90s. You know, we had the vertical air with HO. There was the Conley, the Conley craze. There was uh, the Joby Radical, was, which is some weird cross between wakeboard, trick ski, slalom ski type thing. So there was this big movement that people wanted to have fun, do tricks, show off on the water. The problem was it's hard. You know, it just really wasn't accessible for the average rider. And that's why I think that didn't take off, but wakeboarding did. So it was that same feeling that I had or that people had, but now all of a sudden here's something that doesn't kill your knees like a kneeboard. Here's something that you stand up on. Here's something that's cool like surfing or skateboarding. And by the way, you get to go a little slower and it's easier. So I think that that feeling just kind of carried into all this other stuff and then into wakeboarding. Well, in a way, you know, Okay, yeah, scurfing or skiboarding that came out, you know, in this in this time when you guys were really starting to push the hot dog slalom skiing and the and you know obviously, to me it looks you know looking back at it all, you were basically just doing wakeboard tricks on a slalom ski, back scratchers, shifty airs, one eighties, three sixties, wrapped tricks, flips, you know, and and obviously you know. It, it, with, with with wakeboarding starting to come into the picture in the mid to late 80s, early 90s, as the uh, equipment started to evolve, you know, obviously it just it just had to evolve in a way. Uh, when that happened, did you see yourself maybe taking kind of a step back from 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 skiing so much and maybe start moving towards wakeboarding a little bit more? It became just like any other piece of equipment for me. I dabbled. I rode it. You know, um, HO what made the first hyperlight and that that episode for anyone who hasn't heard it the one with eric perez phenomenal historical episode i mean to hear him you know that's the closest i've ever heard of the real history of the sport and humble guy and so i was around when that was all going down i worked for ho that was the original board was hyperlight that was the, the board name 
it eventually became the brand name. So yeah, I was around, I rode the boards, I did instructional articles, you know, I helped with the videos in the beginning. You know, I was just supporting like I would support any other product. Um, you know, I wasn't great on it, but I applied the hot dogging moves to wakeboarding in the early days. But I wasn't really willing to take that jump to say, this is my only thing that I'm going to do. Because I was still good on a slalom ski. I was still good on a kneeboard. Uh, you know, the hydrofoil was coming out. I already had so many other things. It wasn't like, this is going to be my only thing. It just became one thing that I did, another one thing I did. Well, you're a toad water sports enthusiast. You're not just, you're not just like a, a specialist at one thing, even though, I mean, obviously your slalom skiing, your hot dogging is, I don't know if, if anybody can match what you can do, even even right now. You know, I know that it seems like, like uh, freestyle skiing and just free skiing in general and just just having fun on the lake it's it's starting to kind of come back you know what i mean and and people are starting to have their their own identities back on the water you know not everybody just has to be a gnarly wakeboarder or, or just a crazy wake skater just a wake surfer you know i think slalom ski sales are are coming back and 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 it's i, I think overall it's uh it's a good thing for the sport um but but um you think that if maybe you would have put all of your eggs into that wakeboard basket, you would have been able to have a little bit more uh, success on that side of things? I'm sure that I could have because I, I know I'm a highly motivated person. And when I set my mind to something, I can be successful. So, you know, you talk about as far as the wakeboarding thing, you know, I was fortunate enough because I was involved with the company, you know, HO Hyperlight, when they formed their grassroots tour and modeled it after the INT tour. You remember the INT tour back in the day, which was a grassroots type thing? Well, Hyperlight created the Hyperlight tour. So I was asked to organize this thing, put all the paperwork together, you know, get behind it. So uh, in addition to all these tour stops all over the country, we did them in conjunction with the pro tour stops. So what we would do is show up on Tuesday and a Wednesday before the thing, fly in three or four of our pros and do clinics for the people and amateur contests. And then the weekend would, would go on. Well, I was fortunate enough for two years to sit in the boat with Sean Murray, Darren Shapiro, Dean Lavelle, Jeff here, Andy Lazarus, you know, it's like, yeah, are you kidding me? This is the dream team right here. So, I'm listening to these guys teach people how to wakeboard. And I'm like, I wasn't flipping yet. You know, I just wasn't, just never really got around to it. But after listening to these guys, it's like, I can do that. I know I can do that. So I started writing, you know, and I started getting better and, and kept going. And then I had my couple years of competition and wakeboarding. So, and you know, I did well. But then once that was over, I kind of went on to the next thing. It's like, you know, the cup was full. Let me find another cup to fill up rather than filling the same cup up over and over again. Well, you were a part of wakeboarding in, in what I would call probably one of the toughest times to be a skier in the world of wake. And, uh, you know, you, you, had, you had new guys coming up who just wanted to play it off like, like water skiing was just dead. And, you know, there was a lot of animosity between the skiers towards the wakeboarders, but yet you had a lot of wakeboarders who transitioned from skiing to wakeboarding um how how were some of those times on you you know i really tried to stay away from all that stuff because as i said before i was this outlier guy that really didn't fit in a category and, and i already knew it so there wasn't really 
acceptance. There wasn't really a rejection. I was just, and I always just did my own thing. But I've always been happy for everybody in whatever they do. And to me, you want to go around buoys and see how short you can make the line? Fantastic. I like that too. You want to do tricks on a wakeboard? That's great too. I mean, when the whole stuff with, uh, you know, hitting the sliders and docks and all that stuff came out with Byerly and Nelson and that whole crew, like, wow, this is another thing that like I never even saw coming. Now, I didn't want to do it, but more power to anybody that wants to do all this stuff. I mean, it's toad water sports is already a niche sport. It, it's crazy to try to break it up into even smaller, tinier pieces that it's just I, I never really got it. And I tried to steer clear, clear from it because it's not it's just not productive and i try to stay positive with all this stuff the politics game just isn't really uh what, what you're looking to dabble in huh? i want to do it all so like what were what were you trying to achieve you know you know were you trying to to set yourself up with a job within the industry were you trying to make a career out of it you know i know right now you you work a regular you know 40 hour or plus uh job in california you know i I, you're a regular guy. You, you mix your skiing in when you can, um, but have you have you always been like that, or were like have you always balanced them both, or were you like me, spent more than half your life trying to just uh, you know with the goal of make a living and just being a part of what you love doing? I got extremely lucky because when I first started landing that front flip on the slalom ski. Uh, I went and told Uncle Mike, hey, I'm landing the front flip. And he goes, well, that's good, but you don't have the trick yet. So we're at the river the following week. Mike Mack is getting married. And he goes, okay, now you're going to learn the front flip. So he took me out and we went up and down the Parker Strip. And I landed like 30 or 40 of them that weekend. And everybody was super excited. And he said, okay, now you're ready. And we got back to the coast in LA. He was running his ski shop still. He called up Herb. I was in, his off, in Mike's office. And he says, Herb, the kid's ready. I got on the phone with Herb, and he said, okay, I want you to go out in your uncle's shop and pick out anything you want. I'm going to get an airline ticket for you. You're going to Orlando. We're going to get pictures of this. You're going to be shooting with Tom King, and I'm going to pay you 200 bucks a month and 100 bucks a day. How's that sound? What the heck do you say to that? I mean, you're kidding me. So I think that was the one guy that I would say really got it, and everybody knows that Herb was an absolute you know visionary god bless him we all miss him and, and what he did in the sport but he got it with what i was doing he got it with what mike was doing we didn't have to go around buoys or do tricks on a trick ski or jump off a ramp to help him sell skis he got it that people were excited about having fun so when he hired me i i worked for him from 85 to 97 you know on the payroll and it was a heck of a run and, you know, designed knee boards, designed equipment, you know, helped with the wakeboarding stuff, did videos for marketing. Hyperlite. I mean, marketing, a little bit of everything. And it was a heck of a ride. So I was so fortunate to never really have to scrap or fight for a position. I just, I was there and Herb had my back, you know, and I really missed that in a lot of ways because now I think a lot of the companies that I've tried to hook up with, it's like, what the heck do we do with this guy? We don't really know. He's kind of like 50 plus. Maybe he's not our demographic and he's kind of not really doing exactly what it is that we want. Like we don't really know what to do with them. So I think a lot, in a lot of ways, there's a little bit of, of uh, you know, just wondering and, and nothing happens because they don't know what to do. But it's okay because 
I'm going to just keep doing what I do because I love it. And that's really, as you know, Dano, it's that feeling when you're on the water and you're doing those moves and showtime. I mean, that's the best. That's it. That is the best, right? Well, I mean, we're sitting here looking at the lake right now and it's glassy and there's no doubt in my mind that within, you know, another 30, 40 minutes from right now, we're, we're going to be out there and, <laughs> and uh, I don't, I don't really plan on getting crazy. I just plan on carving around, you know, that's what I'm into today. I'm going to show you my chest, Dano. <laughs> Very excited about that. I'm going to show you the trick. Oh, like a treasure chest. No, no, no. The ice chest. You know, that's been the oh, one that, that of all this crazy stuff that, you know, I've been writing of the 70 or 80 plus apparatus that I've been writing. Uh, that's the one that people really seem to be responding to because, you know, come on, it's an ice chest. Hey guys, I'm going to take a quick break here to mention how stoked I am to call Rockstar Energy Drink an official supporter of the Golden Mike podcast for 2016. In addition to having a flavor for anybody's liking, Rockstar has the most stacked team in the industry as well as sponsors wakeboarding's biggest events worldwide, including the WWA's entire Wakeboard World Series. In fact, this summer, Rockstar Energy Drink will give away a VIP flyaway trip for two people to the final stop of the 2016 WWA Wakeboard World Series this October 7th through 9th in the Dominican Republic. Find out more info or sign up at rockstarenergy.com between now and August 7th. You know I'll be on hand and I'd love to have the chance to party down with you, my loyal listeners, especially in the paradise known as the Dominican Republic. So sign up for your chance to win or just follow the entire WWA Wakeboard World Series presented by Rockstar Energy Drink at www.rockstarenergy.com. Now back with Tony Clarich. I want to get back to a little bit about Herb O'Brien. Uh, you know, obviously a legend, a guy who's done so much for the sport, you know, arguably kind of shaped it into what it is today. And you had what sounds to be a really, really good and close relationship with Herb. The for, best, the best. So I, I want to know, like, what was it like? Can you talk a little bit about behind the scenes Herb? Behind the scenes Herb. Uh <laughs> He was a guy that got stuff done. You know, I, I had his phone number, and if I needed something, I called him up, and it would get taken care of. If there was a problem with the product, I mean, he would be out on the production line that day or that afternoon taking care of it immediately. I mean, it's just not like that anymore. It's a, it's a different time. Um, you know, as a person, man, he took care of you. It was a handshake deal. I don't think I had a written contract with those guys for the first, like, I don't know, seven or eight years. I mean, he actually apologized to me that he that I, I had to get a written contract with him. I mean, it was just taken care of. You know, it was it was that old school business, and things got done. Um, he took care of everybody. You know, and you know, thanks Herb. You know, you see that as a hashtag around a lot of times. That's because the people that work for him and that were involved with that company, it really was that way. When you weren't with him and you were out on his dime, you know, to dinner and it was done, it was like thanks Herb. Like, for real. You know, he's not here, but you know where your meal just came from. And it's that mutual appreciation of, you know, and he, you knew that he cared about you. I'd be at the factory up there with him, and he's walking through the factory. He knows everybody's name. He's stopping by and saying hey and asking about, you know, temperatures and stuff that's going in there and pulling out tools. I mean, it's crazy, crazy. It's just not like that anymore. Right. Well, you know, unfortunately, a majority of the industry's product is now 
you know, it, it, it's not really made over here, like you know, and <laughs> made I, in China. I know uh, about that. I've been up to Radar though, and and I've had the opportunity to hang out with Eddie Roberts and and, and another good friend, you know, and go walk around and watch them make the skis that are there. You know, they're still making a good handful of skis and some boards up there as well, and it's it's really really cool to see the process, and you feel it even with Eddie now, uh, you know. Eddie's so close with everybody up there. He knows the exact process of what's going. You know, the you know he smells some. You smell something off, and he's downstairs. He's like, "Hey, what's the temperature? You know, right now that resin. You know, and like, and and they get it fixed so quick. And it's just, it it's just in, incredible to see that happen. I want to ask you. Over the years, you've talked about some of the uh, some of the different products that you've kind of had your hands in as far as uh, research and development. Can you talk about some of those? Uh, my first big breakthrough or first big thing that I made was the Aerial 360 for HO. That was the very first kneeboard, and it had a kind of unique edge. So when you rolled it up, it would it would catch, but then the bottom was still flat, so you could still do spins and tricks. And that was pretty popular, but that was in the days of the foam-filled floating kneeboards, you know. And when they went to the compression-molded stuff, you know, that board went away. But when it did go to the compression-molded stuff, and I had an established record as the designer of the first, you know, Aerial 360, which was a popular kneeboard, a Herb asked me to do another board. So, you know, got with the shaper, you know, made the shape, did a bunch of tests. And they were sitting around thinking about, you know, the name. Guy Phillip, you know, running the marketing department up there. Herb, you know, Ryan Gardner, all those guys. And as they came up with the name and were thinking about me designing it, it's like, okay, we got this guy who does a little bit of everything. You know, he's like a wild card type thing. So the Joker, you know, that's where that name came from. So it was kind of based on my, you know, history in the sport and the company. And that board, I've been told, I mean, I don't have the statistics, but I've been told that that's the number one compression selling kneeboard of all time. I think it, they still sell it. It's still being sold right now. Now it's changed, you know, quite a bit since my original design, but when I look at that board, I still see many elements of what I did originally in that board. And it's 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 so cool, I mean, to have that as a legacy, even now so many years later. Well, I believe the original Joker shape, I don't know, at least when I was selling product like 10 years ago and I was still working at uh, Performance, they still had the shape of the original Joker, but different graphic the the joker had moved up to like the top level kneeboard in the line so. yeah that's right that's right yeah it's kind of kind of a a uh a tribute to you as well so it's got to feel pretty pretty cool so in addition to that um you know i helped them with some of the triple locking straps and you know i wasn't the first one to do a triple locking strap you know ted bevilacqua was messing around with that uh, lonnie marchand at cinch straps you know he, they were the first guys doing that and the two to one and all that so you build a better mousetrap. You know, you take all the stuff that you've seen and make it a little bit better. So, you know, one of the straps that I designed for HO at the time, that that strap went on for 10 years to be, you know, big and popular. But nobody knows. You know, I, my name was never, I never got a signature board. I never got a signature or anything. It just, I don't think wasn't done at that time. And um, that's okay, though, because the paycheck came. <laughs> so that was okay. But, you know, little stuff. Um, Straight line and accurate. Uh, I, I think I was one of the first guys doing braiding on the handle to use for wraps. You know, I designed a handle for those guys with the padding and the wraps. And, you know, I've had input on vests and stuff, uh, working with body glove, you know, wetsuit cuts and stuff. But, you know, as far as big products, it's been basically the two big kneeboards. Now, 
internet wasn't really big throughout the 90s at least where where i'm from well you know it's starting to kind of come in and stuff like that so it, it just wasn't as easy to follow like people and athletes as it is nowadays i knew you i knew your name just because of hot dog skiing that was that was what i had watched growing up um but kind of putting my eyes on the history books of, of our sport you know it was late 90s or so you know, you, it seems like you sort of kind of either took a break or a hiatus from the sport, at least from, from being kind of a, like a public figure. Um, why, why did you kind of take that hiatus? Well, in 98, I think when, you know, I had the decision to stay with HO Hyperlite or, or move on, and it just really didn't make sense at that time because I was, uh, you know, starting a family. Uh, I was no longer a professional water skier. You know, I was I was making a little bit of money here and there. I was working for my uncle at his company, Skyski, but it wasn't that same thing of that constant paycheck, you know, every two weeks and that constant travel. So in a lot of ways, after 15 years of being a road warrior, it was a little bit of a relief to kind of pull it back a little bit. And, you know, I got into hydrofoiling at that time, and that just wasn't covered that much in the magazines, you know, and it just, I, I was kind of doing my own thing. And then I got into behind the scenes stuff. So I put on the first air chair worlds. I put on the first flight worlds, which was hydrofoiling uh, with, you know, myself and Chuck Sachs, California skier down there, uh, Lake Elsinore. So I was still kind of involved, but not on that high level. I did a bunch of shows overseas in Moscow, the south, south of France, and I got hooked up with one of the big Russian billionaires and, and did uh, <laughs> some crazy shows. I just hooked up with Dean Lavelle recently, and we were, you know, talking about how amazing those shows were. Uh, back in that time, Uncle Mike was back there too. I mean, we had we had a good time, but it just wasn't it wasn't that priority anymore because I was working, I was doing my other stuff, and you know, you change. And I'll tell you, for, for any of the pros out there that might be listening, you know, it's coming. There's that time when you're no longer the man. You know, you can be the man, and it's exciting. You know, you're making the paycheck, you're the guy on the ads, the posters, all this stuff, and then one day it stops. And it's a little shocking and it's a little disorienting because it's like your identity is so tied up into being this person and that's gone. It's kind of like, what the heck do I do now? So that was really probably like a four or five year, almost a grieving process in a way. It's, 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 it's very strange because you're, you're obviously still very good, but you're not at that level anymore. So what eventually happened was I just had to get to that new equilibrium and then redefine myself as a skier, which is where, you know, we were talking earlier about the 40 for 40 and the 50 for 50. That's when everything kind of jump-started for me was getting into the skiing on odd objects. So is it like, basic, basically, you took, you took the time off, you had this like hiatus, and, and, and well, first of all, like what, what, how did you perceive or were you even following the sport in those years off? There was about, I would say, probably almost 10 years where I wasn't getting any of the magazines. I was just kind of doing my own thing. You know, I would train for my two or three overseas shows and that was about it. You You're know, skiing for yourself, skiing for myself. I would say I would describe myself basically as a, you know, high end recreational skier. Every once in a while I'd get a job or a commercial or, or something, but it wasn't that day to day, you know, travel or, you know, you've done it. I mean, man, I was on the road 40 weekends a year every year for 15 years it, it gets to be you know 
it's glamorous at times, but it's on a heck paper. of a lot of work. On paper, it's on glamorous. paper, on paper, it has its moments, but you know, it's a lot of work too. So it was kind of a relief to get away from that too. Let's talk uh, a little bit about some of your projects. Um, we'll start with Water Skiers Life. Um, your your Instagram feed in 2015 was oh, 14 and 15. Just watching it grow was insane. I I used to be the guy kind of running the Aquanut Water Shows Instagram yep. feed. Plus, I've got my own personal Instagram feed. And I'm not going to lie. I would sit there every day. I'd go and check your Instagram feed and be like, oh, my God, he's catching up. He's catching up. Holy smokes. <laughs> yeah, it's a race. It's up. a race. And and now, what are you? You're like over 10,000, right? Right there. I'm right there. I'm about to break through here shortly. So how... How did you get all that started? Like, why? Well, I'm going to have to go back slightly because I came from a, a different place, and that's being a West Coast skier. I didn't have access to World Pubs in Florida. So if I wanted to get in the magazine, I'd have to come out here to do photos. Well, you, I couldn't just do that. I'm far away. So I did a completely different tack, and that is I hired a photographer to take my photos. The difference being is that once that happened, I owned the rights to my pictures. I controlled my stuff. So that's been so huge because I think now what happens is these guys, you know, they'll go out and those photos, they don't belong to you. They belong to someone else well, or the what's photographer. Even, what's even worse is you go out and do a photo shoot and you never see your photos. Or you never see them. So I took a completely different tack. I worked with Rick Doyle back in the early days and, you know, we did some crazy stuff. We were the first ones to do uh, remote water housing stuff back in the 80s. This is, you know, t 15 years before GoPro. We mounted a 30-pound camera in a water housing adapted from surfing on a helmet you know mounted it on the ski mounted it on the scurfer at the time and uh, so that really taught me the power of controlling your own images and creating your own images because it was pretty expensive and you had to get it right so moving forward when it became time to start uh, promoting for the 50 for 50 in the social media I kind of already had that stuff down and I am a student of toad water sports and I've looked at the greats and looked at the old magazines and i love what dick pope senior mr pope did through the ages at cypress gardens if you look at some of that stuff there's a reason that stuff is floating around still it's timeless yeah. you know there was a photo that i just saw recently that i thought was super neat it was three skiers but the the ropes were like symmetrically perfect there because the skier in the middle was holding two ropes and they didn't have it put to a pylon in the middle it was off to the side so the skier in the middle had one rope going off one way and another rope going off the other way and then two skiers to the side. It was actually a pyramid, so I think there was there must have been four people in this. But it was just really, really neat to see how, uh, how like you say, how much effort goes in to the photos, from, even from the ropes to the colors of the ropes matching to the costumes that these skiers were wearing or the, the shorts that the guys were wearing and everything. Everything that happened, there was so much thought behind. That's it. So when it came time for me to start posting, I, I wasn't just haphazardly just posting pictures. I'm really trying to create moments and imagery that can last for not just the 15 seconds or 15 minutes. I'm hoping to create images that can be looked at and viewed just like these Cypress Gardens images have been viewed from years and years ago. And I think I've been successful with, with a few of my photos. But you know, because I'm able to ride so many different things, it's not, uh, it's not pictures of, I wouldn't say just wakeboarding, because the people that 
or wakeboarding are doing incredible stuff. But you know, a back roll is a back roll is a back roll, no matter what apparatus you're doing it on. I do so much stuff that I've been able to mix it up with different stuff. And then because I've done photos, I'm able to capture different angles, you know, and it just, it's, it took on a life of its own. And I'm super pleased with the way it's, uh, it's come out and I'm looking forward to doing more. Yeah, so so do you do you foresee um, the feed really starting to? Are you guys gonna step it up here in, in you know summer two thousand sixteen or <laughs> fifty five for fifty five? <laughs> Is it coming soon? No, I've taken a little break. I've been laying low, uh, you know, as of late. But I'm back right now. This is kind of my coming out party with this uh, trip right now, and you know, I'm just looking forward to spreading the word. I mean, really spreading the word, sharing the stoke, as they say. You know, Dano, we, we love the sport, and, and creating images has always been huge for me. Well, another, like, uh, huge project that you've been a part of is Wakeboarding Hall of Fame. What's your role? <laughs> well, because I've been the kind of, I think, de facto historian of toad water sports from the 70s to 2000, I've written a series of four books, you know, Adventures in Water Skiing, Kneeboarding, Adventures in Water Skiing, uh, hot dog skiing, you know, uh, sit down hydrofoiling, and I was working on the wakeboarding one. So I know the history. I think I've gotten closer to the history than anyone else has gotten. So when Tommy Phillips had the idea to found this thing, him knowing me and what I've done as far as the history and the sport, he called me right away to be on the board of directors and said, hey, we need you as the historian. We, know we need you as the guy who was around in the early days, as a person who can write, <laughs> as a person who can research. And I immediately told Tommy, yes, absolutely. I've been working on this. In fact, you know, next week I will release, I will release the History of Wake timeline, which is out there now. If you, if you look up History of Wakeboarding, you'll find my timeline right there. And I think I've gotten you know, probably closer than anyone uh, out there right now. I know the story. I mean, I have a pretty good idea. I know the story. I've got a few little pieces to, uh, to fill in, but, you know, so knowing the history, I, I jumped on board with those guys, you know, and then it's like uh, Shannon Bess, Kevco, uh, Jim Emmons. I mean, there's Pat McElhaney. There's, there's a whole bunch of us that are involved with this thing, and we're really trying to honor and preserve the sport. That's it. There's no agenda. I love wakeboarding like I love anything else. Tommy asked me to help out. I know stuff. I rode stuff, <laughs> you know, can't, I rode the can't, Skirfers. Can't, can't hold it against you for writing it down. <laughs> so I, I rode it down too. I was involved with Hyperlite, you know, I, I competed at an extremely high level. I did all this stuff. So, um, you know, I have the pedigree to share and I want to share and I, I want to honor uh, the people. I mean, it's great. Kelly Kingman, you know, you know, Kelly, great photographer, especially of women's wakeboarding in the 90s, she lives in Canyon Lake. I went to Kelly a couple months ago and said, Kelly, I need to go through your slides. She gave me two huge banana boxes of slides back in the day. We're talking like 20, 30,000 pictures. I went through every single one of those, picked out the top 800, sent them off to be scanned, and I'm going through and we're just, those things are going to be uploaded and remembered. And we're talking about like, you know, Byerly pre-tattoo. Yeah, wow. <laughs> you know, uh, Randall, or when he, when he was Randy Harris back in the day from Canyon Lake. I mean, uh, you know, all, all of the top guys from the early, early days and the top women too, you know, uh, Sarah Klein, um, Sonia Schiffler, 
uh, shoot, who else? Uh, Andrea, of course, Gitan. I mean, all of those. She probably has more great early pictures of, of anyone. And fortunately, because Tommy started this and we're starting to get some steam behind us now, we're going to be able to, you know, memorialize this for everybody moving well, forward. Well, and I think what's so important, too, is, is uh, for some reason, the new generation, I just, I don't know for sure, but it just doesn't seem like they know the history as much, you know, and, and or I, I don't really know exactly what it's all about. But, you know, for, for me growing up, I guess, you know, we were we were at the beginning of wakeboarding. So I guess all of the the pioneers of it were kind of the big names, you know, when I was growing up. And that's what kind of, I guess, why we know who those guys are. But it gets to the point where they're not around anymore. They're not at the events anymore. They're not really in the scene. They're not really involved anymore. You know, it's like I had Eric Perez on, on the podcast and Perez was, you know, I, I I don't think without Wakeboarding Hall of Fame, I don't know that Eric Prez would be back in a part of, of of the industry right now. And you know, he he's stoked. He's you hear a story. You know, he's it sounds like he's going out and riding again a little bit. You know. Yep, he was in that first inaugural class. Absolutely, undeservedly so. I mean, the guy won the first two worlds. <laughs> you know, he's the first guy to get a cover. I mean, he blew the thing up when that first Hyperlight came out. He was in the first Hyperlight video. I mean, that guy did a lot. He shaped the first hyperlight board. Yeah. <laughs> that insane. changed the industry. Just that right right in itself. Um, well, crazy me, stuff. Yeah. Let me ask you this. So, you know, being a part of this Wakeboarding Hall of Fame, having all this, this, this knowledge in your brain, being a part of this industry, this whole thing from the 70s to the 80s to the 90s, 15 years on the road, a water skier's life, almost 10,000 organic followers there putting out fresh content that that's that's old school but still keeps up to to what we're doing today how do the athletes differ from 80s 90s to today oh that that is a tricky question um you know i i don't really know i I just the first thing that pops into my mind right now is i was down at lts dean school down there and uh, Noah Flegel was down there, and I, I follow him. You know, I mean, I, it's the first time I ever met him, and I, I got to drive uh, chase for him while he was filming some upcoming video, uh, Magic Carpet Ride, I guess, will be coming out soon. And it's the first time I ever really Find saw- it on Instagram. Yeah. No, I'm just joking. Well, uh, pro- probably, but it, it's the first time I ever was in close proximity to this, whatever you want to call it, the 3.0 or 2.0, whatever that next generation of riders is. And it's totally different when you see it up close versus when you see it on social media or Facebook or whatever, when you're actually in the boat and you go like, what the heck was that? And I I can't say what's different, but I, I can see that what's happened is that these athletes have had all the benefit of what's come before them as far as equipment, what's come before them as far as the boats. Um, you know, it's not the ankle high boat anymore, ankle high wake anymore. It's this huge giant wake, right? It's um, the equipment itself is so much better. You know, the tricks are so much better. It used to be a big deal to be a, to do a flip. You know, now you can't even tell what the heck is going on so many times. But it's because they have gone through all the steps and have you know stood on the shoulders of those who came before to get to this place. And like you say, I don't think they know a lot of times, and it's okay if they don't. It doesn't really matter. But um, you know, for the guys who were before. You know, we like to say, hey, we were back here. You know, we had a part in this, too. And I think it's a little bit of that going on, too. But honoring everybody that had a part in it because it's our sport. If we don't do it, who's going to? 
you're right, man. And and obviously we all thank you and the whole entire crew behind uh, Wakeboarding Hall of Fame for, for what you guys are doing. It's a beautiful thing. And of course, also, you know, a water skier's life, water skier's life on, uh, on Instagram. And, and of course, your website, waterskierslife.com. I mean, it's just, it's, it's history. It's all good, good content. So I recommend that everybody goes and checks it out. Uh, we're just about finished here, but I know that you said you had 15 years on the road and you're not, you weren't a party guy, right? No, I, I wasn't. I mean, I had my moments like everybody does, of course, you know, I, I love this saying, you know, Aristotle, you know, one of the great Greek philosophers, you know, it was moderation in all things. That was the first statement, right? It, which is, you know, be mellow, you know, don't eat like a crazy person, but don't, you know, starve yourself either. And the same thing with partying. But recently in the past couple of years, I heard the adjunct to that. And this is an even more ancient, you know, ancient Chinese saying, and that is this moderation in all things, including moderation. So what that means is that, you know, most of the time you should be moderate, you know, don't eat crazy, you know, work out, but don't work out crazy, you know, don't let any one thing rule your life. But at the same time, every once in a while, it's okay to open it up and go for it. You know, just don't let it rule your life. You have one story from the road back in the day, maybe uh, uh, so, some some wild shenanigans that perhaps you were involved with, maybe with one of the riders or something is... Well, it's, it's funny, I'm in the spot now because normally I would be listening to you while I was driving my crane in LA Harbor and it's very strange because I will be listening to these words someday and it's always like this <laughs> i can't really tell that story right so you know let, let me think of the one that i actually can tell oh my gosh oh shoot no, i can't tell that one that's the best one that is the best one. Oh, i know that one <laughs> yeah i know no kidding we all we all do i mean it wasn't it wasn't that bad but it was it was amazing i think you know as far as you know, a, a highlight or something that was just absolutely amazing, you know, not a specific story, but just an experience. I think it was the whole series of shows that we did in Moscow and Monaco with, with what we called the dream team, because after a period of 10 years, eventually what happened was I kind of became in charge of the, um, the water skiers, you know, and the, and the wakeboarders aspect of it. So we would do these shows twice a year and I was in charge of picking anybody in the world to come out to put the show together. Can you imagine that? Yeah. You pick your 10 buddies to come put on a half an hour show with. And these For shows- a billionaire in Russia, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the, and these shows literally were a half an hour long and, and they were costing hundreds of thousands of dollars for one show. And because we were dealing with, you know, the big shot Russian guys, expense was not a consideration. So we got to do whatever the heck we wanted to do. Are these, are these um, documented anywhere? Uh, I've seen some stuff floating around on the internet, but not like officially documented. We did it in conjunction with Jet Ski World Championships, but uh, just amazing stuff. Good times with great friends, family, and uh, you know, really the way it's supposed to be and getting paid at the same time. You know, how much better does it get than that? It's a beautiful thing. Tony, website, social media, shout outs, what you got? Okay, here we go. Well, the main one's gonna be TonyClarich.com. And then the second one, which is mostly the blogging stuff, WaterSkiersLife.com. Of course, Instagram is the main one. That's WaterSkiersLife again. I've got a little Facebook, uh, you know, you can hook me up at just my name or the other one, Adventures in Water Skiing. Uh, as far as shout out with sponsors, you know, 
been involved with HO for years and years and years, and they you know reconnected with them recently. Loving that free ride ski by Marcus Brown. Oh my God, I love that ski. I'm gonna take that thing out for a ride right now. So those guys have, have been hooking me up with equipment. Uh, Body Glove, you know, one of the last companies that's run by a family, Billy Maestro, you know, and his kids now and amazing. You know, I've been with them since 84 still. And it's nice to go down there and get some stuff, man. It feels good to get some free swag, doesn't it, Dano? Hook a brother up. That's what I'm saying, I need you know. Some rubber. Yeah, so you know, I got those guys, and then uh, you know, through the years, it's just been other, you know, of course, you know, my parents, my mom, my dad, Mike Mack at the Colorado River, you know, Uncle Mike, Next Foils, Next Foils, yes, Uncle Mike, and he recently, officially, as of yesterday world's tallest sit-down hydrofoil the guinness record has been awarded to uncle mike at age 66 11 feet three inches congratulations mike murphy yep next foil so he's still active with that and you know i've got a template of someone to look up to and uh i plan on going for as long as i can because i love this sport dano yes tony man this uh has been really really cool it meant a lot for me to to have you out here man you're you were the first name in Toad Water Sports that I knew, just so you know. So, dude, this is this has been uh, really cool. Appreciate you, man. Golden Mike Podcast. Dano, you are the best, and it has been the greatest pleasure to be with you. And I'm hoping for more, and I'm hoping for us to get out on this water right now. Let's do it. All right. All right, listeners, hang tight. I want to be right back after just a few words to pay a couple of bills. Right here on You Know It, the Golden Mike Podcast. C4 belts are the newest wakeboarding accessory to hit the market. Made of premium TPE thermoplastic, C4 belts are waterproof and backed by a lifetime guarantee. Available in multiple colors and designs, C4 allows you to mix and match straps and buckles to create your own unique color combinations. C4 stands for choose your color, choose your cause. Use code MANO2016 at C4Belts.com for 10% off your purchase. Look good, do good. C4 Belts. Woodrose is a sunglass company based in Central Florida that manufactures frames from wood and other sustainable materials. With an infrastructure built on a passion for action sports, life on the water, and the love for the great outdoors, there's no doubt Woodrose handcrafted wooden and sustainable eyewear will fit your lifestyle. Use my promo code MANO30 and you'll get an additional 30% off your entire order. Once again, that's promo code MANO, M-A-N-O-3-0 at Woodrose.com for 30% Percent off everything. That's W O O D R O Z E dot com. The Golden Mike Podcast is back with the noise of the North. Dano the Mano, presented by C Deck Marine Products. Well, a lot of history there with Tony Clarich, and honestly, it was an honor for me to have him over here at my boathouse in Central Florida. After the interview, we went out for a ride on the boat, and he showed me some of his famous hot dog and slalom ski tricks and took a few passes in the cooler. He's a pretty funny dude, guys, and has such a passion for toad water sports. His heart, it's seriously in the right place, and I hope after hearing this episode, you guys go out and find some of his videos, articles, and photos so you can see what he's truly done for the sport. 
he continues to give back. So for that, I thank you again, Tony. Listeners, you guys should all come see me this summer. I'm on the road pretty much nonstop. Here's a list of some upcoming events. Stop three of the Performance Ski and Surf Gravel Tour here in Orlando, Florida on June 25th. Fourth of July weekend in Reno, Nevada for the Malibu Boats Sparks Pro, the first stop of the Malibu Boats Evolution Pro Series. The following weekend in Houston, Texas for the third stop of the Malibu Boats Rider Experience and Central WWA Wakeboard Regionals. July 15th, 16th, and 17th in Worcester, Massachusetts for the fourth stop of the Malibu Rider Experience and the Wu-Town Wake Fest. I cap off July in Atlanta with WWA's Wakeboard National Championships and start off August right here back in Orlando with Wake Park Nationals. Following weekend, we head international August 12th through the 14th with Ollie and Raph Jerome at their home lake in St. Zotique, Quebec, Canada for the final stop of the 2016 Rider Experience and then August 19th and 20th in Seoul, Korea for the Malibu Evolution Pro Series. It's a Seoul Pro. I have a few more events following that and uh, I'll let you know all about them on the next episode of the Golden Mike Podcast. If you guys have any questions or comments, email me, goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com or message me through the Golden Mike Facebook page. Don't forget, I'm on social media. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at the Dano T. Mano and at the Golden underscore Mike. On Instagram at Dano T. Mano. And be sure to like and share with all of your friends my Golden Mike podcast Facebook page. It's a really good way for me to, to get the information out there. One more thank you to Tony Clarich, and now a few shout-outs to the sponsors and folks behind the scenes. Thank you to SeaDeck Marine Products, Performance Ski and Surf, Woodrow Sustainable Optics, Boulder Boats, GoPuck, Hungry Boards SUP, Logos That Pop, C4 Belts, Rockstar Energy, Jenna Hamill on the web, and of course, Rich Walsh on the audio. That's going to do it for today's show. Appreciate y'all for tuning in and listening. I'm the Noise of the North, Dan of the Mano, and you can hear me next time once again on the Golden Mike Podcast. I'm a wall of power, friends with Poseidon. In case you don't know what ski I am riding, designed by a man that's named Herb O'Brien. The number one, the only one that's worth trying. Then I spin and flip. It's my destiny. You will get dizzy. It's my destiny. But don't try to front or you'll get crushed because I'm friends with Corey Picos and Dina Brush. And if you still keep messing, we will include Wade and Ted, the twins, yeah, the whole damn crew, because we're backed by a man with a master plan. H.O. has got us in demand. But all these words mean nothing. Our actions speak louder so go back to the locker room take yourself a shower boy because you are through the game is over don't try to be a valentina or a casanova if you think you can out ski me i'll take the wager break the speed of sound just like general chuck yeager just give me a rope a boat and a moat and into the air i will float like a butterfly sting like a bee you'll think i'm fraser tyson and muhammad ali i'm gonna cut you down i'm gonna claim my crown you're gonna hail to t claire the king in town